Welcome back to the Pitch Podcast, another episode here. We are sitting in an office at the moment at Cooper Stadium, getting ready for your A-League men taking on Sydney FC Saturday night, Remembrance Day. There's a very special match we'll get to in a moment where we have some past legends taking on the ADF. Um, Today, it's different because it's not called the Pitch Podcast, it's called the Pitch Doddcast. Travis Dodd, welcome. Good, good. Good play on words there, Walshie. Thank you. I've got some stats that I'm going to read out. Travis Dodd, in the A-League for Adelaide United, 137 games. You were subbed on 17 times, subbed off 27 times, probably because you'd scored enough by then, so they're like, we need to rest, need to save them for and the oxygen. next And oxygen, oxygen tank, <laughs> definitely required. 18 yellow cards, one red. Now, is that red a double yellow or a straight red? That's contentious, uh, and I'm going to go to the stats department mm-hmm. uh, because that red card was actually rescinded. That that was right. um, that happened over in Wellington. Uh-huh. Uh, got a red card, straight straight red. By the time we'd landed back in Australia, it had been rescinded. So I want that scrubbed from the record. Gone. Thirty goals, one own goal. Yeah, talk us through that, please. All the goals are a bit of a blur, you know, <laughs> even the own goals. Okay. Um, but I think that's what you get when you ask a, an attacking player to defend inside the six-yard box. It just doesn't work. True. 120 starts. Mate, it's great to have you on the Pitch Podcast in um, a celebration of 20 years for the football club. I've had a fair bit to do with you throughout your whole career, which is great. And it's, it's good to always catch up with you and, and talk about football, but also about life because you've been very good to me. I've been jokingly sending you photos of my Perth Glory Travis Dodd <laughs> yeah. shirt, which I still have. That's very true. Yeah. Um, but back in the day, that probably cost you about 150 bucks to give me. You probably had to pay for another one. <laughs> Those were the days. No, I just said said that I lost that one. That was, uh, yeah, fan, fan took it. It's, it's funny now though, right, because you have a look around all of the football venues around the world. Kids come prepared with signs saying, can I have your shirt? Can I have your boots? And it's not the Premier League where you get a new shirt every game. <laughs> this is Australia where someone has to press another bloody shirt the next week. It's going to go at a cost to the club. Well, actually, you know, saying that, uh, talking about uh, Adelaide United's game a couple of weeks ago yep. against Melbourne City when, mm-hmm. when they hammered them, I did see quite a few of the Melbourne City players giving away their shirts. Uh, and I thought that was that was an interesting one. It's probably not one that they want to hold on to for too long. But Are you, uh, would, would you be likely to do that? So if you were playing on the weekend and you looked at someone with a sign that says, Travis, can I have your shirt? Or would you prefer to give it to someone who's not asking for it? Because I think sometimes it's the parents saying to the kids, the handwriting looks too good on the signs. The parents have done it <laughs> and they're like, hey, go and do that and we'll sell it. No, look, I'm... I would definitely give it to a kid that I'm walking around, if I'm walking around, if I'm going to do it, to one that you stop and have a chat with uh, as opposed to one with a sign. Now, I, I get that the kids want it, of course. Um, and look, some some players might be focused on that, see the sign and go, okay, here you go. But I don't know, nah, not, not for me. I'd, I'd give it to little Jimmy or... Top Gun Jimmy. Top, top Gun Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, Top Gun, top gun Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah, back in the day. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd rather do it that way. I'm, I'm glad we're catching up today because we don't need to go through, apart from the statistics I gave, your bio and your history, but um, this is a celebration of 20 years of the football club where I think we, with people like yourself, yes, there's a celebration, but we also had moments where um, there were probably uh, – tense moments between yourself and the club and we've been really honest I think on this podcast speaking to a lot of people that um, in the past 
the club didn't handle the exits of players, but also past greats of the club really well. Yeah. I feel they've now reached a point where it's getting better. I know that um, Lucas Fonten, who's taking care of the, the media department at the moment, wants to get all the past players together to do stuff like that. But um, I wanted to talk to you about your exit. Because, um, for, as I said, this is like a, an honest chat. Yeah. And you're back here now chatting about it. You're going to be playing in the game on the weekend. So yeah. you're back with a, a, a repaired or repairing relationship with the football club, which I love. But it wasn't a great time at one point. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that, that year, it was under previous ownership. We'd had a new coach come in, Rini Coolen. Uh I was also coming into the last year of my contract, captain of the club, but I'd had uh, a long-term injury, um, osteitis pubis, mm. which I'd had surgery for in that off-season. So I, I think I ended up missing the first 10 games of the season uh, and then came off the bench a few times, which is where a lot of those sub-stats come from, yep. you know, coming back from injury. But I don't know, I thought everything was going well. And then we, we get into the finals, starting into the final series. Uh, I had an agent at the time, uh, asked him to start reaching out to the club to, to see where we were going and, and what was happening. My intention, I would have loved to have seen out my career uh, at Adelaide United, but uh, I, I think, to be completely honest, it was pretty clear from the get-go that well, I had the feeling that I wasn't going to be around at the club um, for the following season. Now, you know, the club did offer me a contract, but you know, based at that point in time... Um, you know the metrics around what they're offering. Um, you know, as captain of the club, you know, at one point they were saying, you know, because I was over thirty, they could only offer me one year because that's what they do in the AFL, mm-hmm. um, which was a really foreign concept to me. But I think it was a concept that came from the ownership at the time having that background in Aussie rules. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was a bit weird for me. Um, and in the end, you know, we played Gold Coast in the finals. We got knocked out. And uh, I remember going into the club, getting called into the club the next day um, you know, by the football director at the time, Michael Petrillo. And uh, he, he said to me, look, um, there was a contract on the table, but um, they, they withdrew the contract. So that offer. So that was it. Basically, my mind, well, the decision was made for me. Um, and I guess in the meantime... I had negotiations with Perth. So your agent was still working behind yeah. the scenes as a just yeah. in case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the hard thing with that, because uh, Ian Ferguson was the coach at the time at Perth, when my agent first reached out to him, they didn't really want to talk because they they thought that I was just using them as yeah. leverage yep. to... To bump up Adelaide's yeah, contract, yeah. 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 And, and I actually had to have a conversation with, with Fergie and say, listen, I'm, I'm genuine about, you know, potentially moving, mm. I, I want to speak seriously through my agent and let's see where it goes. And, yeah, as it turned out, that's that's what happened. So you end up going to, to Perth. And correct me if I'm wrong, was this so – Rini comes in and that was you were removed as captain and you, you'd moved on and then John McCain comes in. Was that around that time? Yeah, so uh, Johnny Mack was captain the year after. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that was yeah. all confusing. And uh, John's like the – the godfather of my youngest daughter, so he's yeah. comfortable with saying that. But even I remember yeah. I was on radio like that night going, who the hell is this John McCain guy coming yeah. in and captaining in Adelaide United? Because it was so foreign to so many people. Yeah, but even like even during that negotiation progress pro- process, um, you know, there was me, Paul Reid, mm. uh, I think Cassio, 
Flores, I don't know what was happening with him at the time, but uh, Reedy actually came to me. This is during the season. We're, we're still in season, negotiating with me, negotiating with Reedy. That actually told Reedy, because he, and this is, I guess, how close the change room was, that Reedy felt comfortable enough to come to me mm. and said to me that, you know, in his negotiations, now I can only assume it was with the coach at the time, uh, they told him that they were going to make him captain next year. And wow. that's why they were still negotiating with me. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't a great time. Uh, and look, we, there was, there was points during this finals campaign where some of the players were actually saying, let's, let's walk out. Like, let's not train. Let's, mm. like, forget the club, blah, blah, But, you know, part of, I guess, my role as a captain was to keep everyone together. And, and I think that I did that, uh, even though it was a, a trying time for me personally uh, to, to be able to keep, you know, the core of the group, well, core, everyone, to, together to keep fighting and, and keep playing throughout the final. So, yeah, actually, uh, you reminded me of that one. Um, that was, yeah, that was a, um, a very delicate situation all round throughout that process. And there's, but there's a good news story at the end of it, though, because, as I said, we're here having this conversation now. So what, I guess, what needed to be done for you to welcome back the club? It wasn't necessarily them welcome back you because, like, you needed to um, repair relationships that had been damaged. It's the same as Marcelo Karuska. It's the same as Eugene Galakovic. It's the yeah. same as Marcos Flores. Like, these people now can walk into Hindmarsh Stadium and, and feel connected and feel embraced. But something needed to happen. That's right. It's, it, it's a hard thing. And I've always said this with the relationship a player has with a club and the fans have with a club. That the hard thing is now, a lot of people said to me over the years, and particularly at the time, that I left for money. Now, there's no doubt that I did leave and get paid more money, but that wasn't the reason that I left. If you go to Western yeah. Australia, that pay increase means nothing really because yeah, well, it's so expensive right. to live there. <laughs> you break even. Look, the way, unfortunately, I learned at that point in time, and that was, I was 31 at the time, that, you know, we're, we're all, you know, commodities within a business mm. that once you're past your use by date, you get moved on. And it was a business decision. And, for me at the time, it was hard to understand. I look at that now and I understand that. Do I like it? Do I agree with it? No, not really, but it's part and parcel of football. Could it have been handled better? Probably that's the, the most uh, important thing to come out of it is that it should have been handled better. Now, you know, even talking with Marcos and you know, when, when he went to Melbourne Victory and the circumstances around that, he copped a lot of grief from fans mm. because – People say that you know he went just for the money to Melbourne Victory, but it wasn't like that at all. Uh, it was you know, about the club not even engaging in a conversation with him. So yeah, it's it's difficult, and that's the hard thing, you know, from a player, club, fan perspective, is that this is our livelihoods. You know, we this is our job, and we need to go where we can provide for families and and things like that. So yeah, look. Time heals everything. Um, you know, came came back from Perth. I've been back now for eight years, um, and with Nathan at the the club, um, and even you know, former chairman Pete, yep. uh, and now Ned had a, had a good chat with Ned. Really wanting to engage with past players and and 
really mend those relationships moving forward, which is is great to see. And this club has has been such a big part of my life that you know why wouldn't I want to do that and be involved? Um, and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of really good yeah. people that make up the history of the football club, and you can see that. Um, I love seeing especially a handful of our foreign players that have chosen to live in Adelaide because yeah, they love the absolutely. lifestyle so much, but also um, fly on the wall stuff. When you guys get together, I'm sure it's like like it was yesterday that you were playing. So you, you get to Hindmarsh Stadium on Saturday with a handful of your ex-teammates and current coaching staff at the moment <laughs> in the NPL, but I'm sure that's a wonderful thing. And ultimately, yeah, you're kicking a ball around, but it's more than football. Well, it is. Uh, I think the the biggest thing is, you know, when you go in the change room, it's like, what have we? What are we actually doing? What have we got ourselves in for? Um, but it just it, it brings back those memories and that camaraderie, particularly you know players that with the Asian Champions League and mm. and that that era and that time that we were together and uh, having to do all that travel and just be back in a change room because. For me, when I retired, that's the thing that I missed most. Not not necessarily playing and you know scoring goals and winning games, but going every day into a change room mm. and having that camaraderie with with your mates uh, because that is unique in any job. Now, if if you're an athlete and and you're fortunate enough to to be able to have that, it is very special. But once it's gone, it's it, that's a difficult adjustment. I've noticed that. Um, speaking to a few players that were part of the championship team, a couple of players that were there maybe two or three years before, so like uh, Osama Malik and Michael Zulos, Nigel Bogard, they said that that era for them at the club was the best group of people that they played with. And you look at results throughout those years, it was one of the most successful eras of the club. Yeah. So it, what you're saying is amazing because it says if you've got trust off the pitch and you have a relationship with your teammates and essentially a no dickhead policy, yeah. then the results kind of take care of themselves because you're open to feedback, you're open to growing because you've got a common goal. Well, that's it, absolutely. Uh, and I think there was just that resolve within the playing group at the time, um, particularly in those early A-League years, uh, you know, with the rivalries with uh, Melbourne Victory, the grand finals, and you know, a lot of us went through that period together and then into the Champions League campaign. So you know, we'd gone on a long journey together and, and it was just, as you said, that trust and camaraderie again that, that we built that at times made us feel invincible, um, invincible. Invincible. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Both work. Yeah. Um, until we got to, to finals, which is unfortunately where we struggled. Did you think that when you were playing, you playing alongside a lanky drop of water by the name of Robert Cornthwaite, and he's turned into a media mogul now in South Australia? Media and mogul. Then you see a young Bruce Dutte, who is essentially the next prime minister. Jason yeah. Spagnolo, who's running real estate around the whole world, and Dot com. Ange yeah. Costanzo, who's um, obviously. Been eating a fair bit. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that and it wasn't me. I said that on radio this morning, actually, to Carl Viet, and thankfully I was in a studio. But um, to see the, the progression of some of your former teammates and what they're doing after football, I'm sure it makes you you're pretty proud to see these boys follow their passions. But also, there's so many other stories outside of football when players finish up, they keep chasing a football dream until they're 40 and then they go, oh, shit, what am I doing yeah, with my life? Without a doubt. And Spags is probably one of the best examples of that because he retired pretty young. Mm. He went uh, from Adelaide United to North Queensland Fury, was there for a couple of years and then 
for whatever reason, decided to, to come back, stop that and get into real estate. Now, you know, at the age of 28, I don't even think he was that old when he retired, to to give up a professional sport to go into a I'm not and I'm going to say in real estate it's not 9 to 5 because it's a lot more than that mm. to to dedicate yourself to that it takes something special mentally I think to to do that because you know why would you give up sport and and that to to go and sell houses but you fast forward 10 years down the track and you look what he's achieved in in his profession now mm. and it's outstanding so it goes to show and i think that comes from being an athlete as well having that discipline to to push and and to be able to uh, keep striving to be better and you know you look at corny um shocked that he's in in media he's got a he's got a head for radio um <laughs> don't we all <laughs> <laughs> um like bruce bruce though his progression hasn't Shocked me at all. Yeah, really. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think right from back when we were teammates. Him and uh, Burnsy just knocking around as teenagers. Well, <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe as a teenager I didn't see it, but as he progressed, mm. uh, he was heavily involved with our players union, uh, became on the executive of our uh, PFA, and you could see later on that he, there was just something about him that, yeah, he's built for politics. Mm. And... You know, we now give him shit all the time whenever we catch up and, and that because he's very hard to get hold of now and pin down and actually get in front of that he's always he's, he's scheming and planning for the the next World takeover. Pri- prime ministerial run. Uh, I love doing the round table with you a couple of weeks ago because we joked at the end of it that the team you selected that would be Carl Viet's starting 11 was the youngest team that you could possibly select. And we're all having a joke about it. But you have a look now. There's about six or seven teenagers actually starting. So whether you're in his ear when you're playing golf with him or this is just a sign of things to come, I I love that. And I I feel that um, Carl is giving opportunities to kids that deserve their position. Look at Johnny Yale now. We've been basically, we've wrapped him in cotton wool for a couple of years and now he's mm. ready to go. You are a coach yourself. Do you see that with kids now? Do you have the same mantra to go, you know what, if I see a, a kid who deserves the spot, they're playing? For me as a coach, well, actually, I'll start with, with Carl. Look, it's, I'm not sure I'm in Carl's ear, um, but I, yeah, when we do play golf, you do hear how passionate is about the young players mm. and and how highly he rates those players so i think you know the melbourne city game just to to go back onto that when he'd made his subs the i mean the average age must have been like under 21 or it's something like that yeah. uh, with the exception of Issa, who was bringing it right back up mm. but such a young team and you, know, you look at the players that came on, Musa scores, um, or Tanner Cliff, who's a bit older, scores. Bernardo um, has an Bernardo, assist in the brace. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's crazy to think that these young players are having such an impact. But you look at that progression, Bernardo's a couple of years into his career now. Mm. And you know, Nesta is starting games this year. Uh, he's into his second year of his career. So Carl all of a sudden has got these younger players that – are getting 20, 30, 40 games under their belt, you know, they're going to be 18, 19, 20, 50, 60 games and you know, seasoned players. So you know, what he's creating is really good. I guess the the difficulty for him, 
when you're successful with young players is holding on to them. Mm. And that's the challenge for, for any club. But I guess that's why you have the, the production line to, to try and keep them coming through. Bovalina, I think, has been outstanding mm. in, the, in the couple of games that he's played. Uh, as a coach myself, I look at it when, when I played. I started as... I was just over 16 and a half or something like that. And at the time, I was the third youngest player to play in the NSL. So for me as a coach, and I say this to the young ones now uh, at, at Croydon, I don't care about your age. If you're 15, 16, it, it actually doesn't matter. If you're, if you're good enough, you're old enough. And there was a player a couple of years ago, he, he just turned 16 and, and I gave him a debut in, in the first team and he ended up playing a majority of the season. So your know, age is one thing. I guess the, the biggest thing for these younger kids is how they cope with the physicality. And that's the main concern is that they're not going to get hurt because um, you've got to have that duty of care. But if you have them training in that, that environment around men uh, for a sustained period, they build that resilience and and they either sink or swim, I guess. And if they swim, then you give them that opportunity. Bruce, after the game on Saturday night against Victory, said that young kids need to be more protected in the A-leagues so we don't lose them to overseas. I love Bruce, but I don't know whether I agree with it or not because I'm not close Mm. enough to football. But as a fan, I feel that everyone should be protected, no matter your age. And um, as a, a past captain, as a player... Once someone steps onto the pitch, should they be treated like every other player out there? Or do you look at a person and go, I'm not going to tackle you as hard because you're a kid? Yeah, well, I agree with you 100% there. And you know, I've, I saw Bruce's comments and you know, it's, it is a, it's a difficult one. I understand his intention behind what he's saying, but I don't, underst- I don't see how a referee protecting a young player is going to keep him in the country. Mm. You know, it's... They need to be in an environment where, like you said, as soon as you cross the line, you're one of 22 players out there. It doesn't matter if you're 15 or 40. You get treated the same, in my opinion. Now, yeah, unfortunately, that situation um, with with Nesta and the, the red card, should it have been a foul? Yeah, I agree 100%. The referee or the linesman should have called it. Should Nesta have reacted the way that he did? No, and... As Carl said after the game, it's a maturity thing that he needs to learn to cope with. And, and I don't with. think we'd be having this conversation if that was Nesta's first yellow because it resulted in him being sent off. It yeah, was the 100%. spotlighted and highlighted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He shouldn't have got the first yellow. Yeah. That was probably more contentious than yeah. the second one. No, absolutely. But I, I guess it's – in a way, I think it's good that it's happened now yeah. to him because he knows – where the line in the sand is and he either tempers his aggression and the emotion to deal with that or yeah he's going to be finding himself sitting in the stands a lot more regularly so yeah that can then bring his whole career into play is he going to be a player that can deal with the the emotion and deal with the the hard knocks because if he can't play teams are going to see pretty quickly if we give this guy a bit of niggle He's going to overreact. He's going to get sent off. He's going to do something stupid and we'll be able to take advantage of it. So, you know, it's, as I said, it's great that it's happened now. Not great that he's got a red card, but it's something that he can start dealing with and addressing now to become and fulfill that potential that he's got. 
we this season have been essentially the coach killers because we played against Rado Vidicic's <laughs> Melbourne City, <laughs> yeah. then he leaves, and now Steve Corica goes and Ufuk Tale comes in for Sydney FC that we're playing against them for his first game back in charge. Have you ever played in a team after a coach has been removed and the team struggled? Did, uh, if you have, do you do you get together and does that kind of give give you a bit of energy? Because I'm nervous about this weekend. I'm just trying to think. Uh, I've been I've been at a club. I think in Perth. Yeah, definitely was in Perth where the coach got moved on. Um, it's it's the easy the easy thing is to move a coach on, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like it's to say, you know, coach, no results, get rid of them. Sometimes it could be justified, I think, because of the way that the team's playing. But players at that point in time as well need to have a look at themselves. You know, if if you're losing these games, what are you doing to to help the team win? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that type of thing as well. So I think there will be an element of that. This week, there always seems to be that element of bounce back. You know, Vidi, uh, Aurelio with Melbourne City, you know, the bounce back uh, that they came mm. back and won 2 0. So I think there's just that that instinctive mongrel back in a player for, for the following game when there's the exit of a coach. So well, is it going to be a tough game? 100%. There's no such thing as an easy game in the A-League. Well, that's, that's it, a yeah. Great thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, just finally, who are you playing with on Saturday? Some of your former teammates. And you've got – it's Ian Fife's coaching with you this year, is that right? He is, yeah. I've, uh, I've got him on board as my assistant coach yep. this year, Fifey. So Fifey's been uh, – he, he's had time with Campbelltown as a head coach, yep. won a championship, uh, and he's been doing some stuff with Benny Moore at Playford. So for me to be able to bring in uh, – a former player, uh, a teammate of mine, and coach with championship-winning experience. Mm. It's great, and I think it's going to be great for the team uh, at Croydon this year. Other players, uh, Lucas Pantelis, yep. uh, the cat, he'll be out there. He'll be trying the hardest out of all of them. Probably will. No, yeah. no, I don't think he will, to be honest. Right. He'll be up there. It'll be He'll be in the grand final. Mm-hmm. There's a three-way final yes. for trying the hardest this week, mm-hmm. and it'll be Pantelis, Bajaya, and Michael Brooks. Mm. So between the three of them, they will be striving to get best on ground. And <laughs> I bet you're glad I'll, that it's on Saturday where it's 24 degrees oh, and not mate, 39. <laughs> I, I'm just striving to get on the ground, not to be not to be best on, just to get on. All right, well, let me finish with safely. this. So I, I made a, a joke about Ange Costanzo before, and I know he can laugh at it. I don't even know if he's playing this week. No, I don't he? think so. I just wanted yeah. to make a joke about him. Um, I did want to ask in all seriousness, though, because we – Post-career, how hard is it to transition into normal life? Because you are paid to stay fit, healthy, active. But once you step out of a professional lifestyle, people naturally will either um, lose routine, go to a full-time job where they can't train as much. Naturally, what happens is players, past players put on weight and people go, oh, you've blown out. You haven't. You just look like a normal person now because <laughs> yeah. when you when we see you yeah. playing at your absolute peak, you're the fittest that you will ever be fitter than anybody else watching you. When yeah. you turn normal, people are shocked. Yeah. Is it hard to transition to a normal life? For me, it it was, uh, and I think for Ange, it is. It was like yeah. genetics play a big part of it. You know, I look at Lucas Pantelis, for example. Like that guy retired 
you know, a year or two years after me, and he still looks the same as what mm. he was when he was playing. And that's what are, happens when you're really small, though. Yes, yeah, yeah, maybe uh, he's got a, a stunted metabolism <laughs> as well. So yeah. uh, with his growth, uh, but yeah, no, it's hard because you you you, know, you go out, you eat, you drink the same, but your body just is not dealing with it. You're not yeah. you're not exercising anywhere near as much, and that that can be a hard bit. You know, you go into the office. Andrew's a bit different. You know, he's a tradie, so he's on the tools up and down ladders all day. Yeah. Um, but uh, I expect better from him. Uh, myself, I'm behind a chair. I'm sitting behind a desk all day, every day. So, uh, and going out for coffees. Um, but yeah, look, it is that transition is difficult. Um, uh, not only physically but mentally. So, yeah, I think it's a combination of. Everything that that brings you back to earth. Well, it's bloody good to see you, Trav. It's good to hear you when I hear you do your commentary sometimes alloside Disco Dom Ronaldo when he's not <laughs> doing podcasts with John Cosmina. Cosy, yeah, um, work's going well, life's going well, and I'm stoked for you, mate. So thanks for having some time. And I love today's just been a chat. I haven't said, what's the best goal you've scored <laughs> for Adelaide United? Because you probably tell me, but we know all that shit. This is just about you and your thoughts, and you are welcome back anytime on the Dodcast. Beautiful. Thanks, brother. Cheers, mate.